Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Liam Maitland, KCBS foodie champ with Chef Jeremiah Tower, director of the movie The Last Magnificent Jeremiah Tower. Lydia Tanalia, good to see you both. How are you? Very well, thank you. And thank yeah. you for doing this interview. Well, listen, I always love to begin by saying, well, this sound first. Oh. Yes, of course, this sound. Yes, absolutely. And what are we, what are we drinking? Tétanger. Tétanger. Yes. Well, yes. cheers. Salut. Here we go. Mm. My word. There's nothing better at 10 in the morning than a lovely glass of champagne. Well, that's the perfect time because, you know, your palate is most awake around... If you get up at normal times, your palate is most awake around 10, 30, 11 o'clock. We're jumping the gun by 15 minutes, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> that's why we love Jeremiah. Of course. Uh, the movie, The Last Magnificent... Let's start with the title. Lydia? The title, um, you know, it really came, it was a reference uh, from from an article that was written about uh, Lucius Beebe, who was a a sort of bon vivant um, and and a gentleman in the sort of earlier part of the the, 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 uh, 1920s, 30s, had sort of single-handedly created the idea of cafe society, and so he was a, a hero of Jeremiah's. Uh, and, um, you know, he's often referred to as a magnificent or the last magnificent. So when reading about him, I like that title. It somehow felt very fitting for well, this film. Fitting indeed. And you know, usually when I introduce Jeremiah, I say chef, bon vivant, <laughs> renaissance man, and lover of champagne. Absolutely. Well, of course, Lucius Beebe was thrown out of Yale and Harvard for drinking champagne yeah. at 9 o'clock in the morning. We're, we're, this is two hours later, so we're in, we're in good shape. But, but you were not kicked out of Harvard. No, no, I've been kicked out of a few schools, but not out of Harvard. When I did my, I said I want to do my thesis, and it's underwater architecture, they yeah. did say perhaps you should leave us and go down the road to MIT, but uh, then I finally did public housing, and they let me stay. Yeah, and lay off the acid. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, not so much the acid as mescaline. I really did love mescaline in those days. <laughs> so, Jeremiah, I mean, this is a big deal because you're letting someone into your world. And uh, many people over the years would describe you as a very private person. Uh, and you reveal uh, more of yourself than I've never known of you or about you through this film. Uh, before we get into some of the details... Talk to me about the relationship with Lydia. Why was Lydia the one, and why did you let Lydia into your very private world? Well, Lydia's uh, motto is never give up, uh, which is also mine. So, the, you know, when somebody would say no, if I would say no, I realized I might as well just say yes, because Lydia <laughs> wouldn't, let, wouldn't stand for that, you know. Persistent. Persistent. Yeah. And then in terms of Anthony Bourdain, I said, you know, I mean, if the Iranian government couldn't say no to him, how the hell could I? And he, he produced this film. He was an executive producer on the film. I've yeah. collaborated with him for a long time. And yeah. he actually was the first one to read Jeremiah's uh, memoir 
and he kind of threw the book on my desk and he said, you've got to read this, really interesting. And that was really the starting point of the film. You know, I've worked with him in food television for almost two decades, yeah. and I had never heard of Jeremiah's name. So I, it was unusual for me to read a story about someone who had such an impact, yet I had never heard his name. And so that was really kind of the starting point of the whole yeah. story and the process and uh, kind of query into doing a documentary about him. And of course, indeed, it is a documentary, but within the documentary uh, are sprinkled uh, lots of uh, reminiscent moments and scenes going back uh, and seeing Jeremiah uh, as a young boy, as a child. And, and your life was unique, to say the least, as a young boy, <laughs> Jeremiah. Yes, because my parents traveled all, all over the world. Yeah. I mean, my father was, um, you know, Mexico and then I was uh, Connecticut, then Australia in England, and, um, and so I went to school in all those places and in yeah. France. But in those days, American companies uh, had to pay uh, first, you had to go first class, yeah. and they paid for it. So we uh, went around the world three or four times, first class, you know, something like the Queen Mary, sure. which is where I learned how to slice smoked salmon. And pour over menu after menu after menu. I love the scenes when Jeremiah, as a young boy, is sitting alone at a table, uh, and he is just engrossed. You are, in the same way a kid would be with a fantasy book. You're looking at a menu, your eyes wide, you know, jaw to the floor. Well, because, you know, on, uh, the other two days ago, reading the Financial Times weekend piece, um, I look always look at the real estate, and I see all those amazing houses in the south of France, and... English countryside, sure. you know, for sale. And so I look at those and I read the description and I go into, in my mind, I go in the house and wonder what it's like to live there and, you know, if it were mine, what would I do? So menus are the same thing. I, yeah. I read them, I construct a meal that I'm going to have, I choose, you know, like ordering, I order to myself, sure. and then I can taste everything that's on the menu. So it's, it's a travel journey, basically. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, as the foodie chap, uh, food is at the core of what I do, and Jeremiah's journey in food is also an enormous part of the story. You coming west, Berkeley, Chez you show up for an appointment. What happened, and, and why Chez on that day? What was it that took you there? It was talking 1972. Yes, yeah. there was an ad in the newspaper that said that Chez was looking for an executive chef who familiar with and passionate about the philosophy of Elizabeth David and Fernand Poin. And I thought, well, I mean, Elizabeth hated Fernand Poin. What, what are they talking about? Anyway, I, hey, at the job, I was broke. I was down to my last $25. So uh, some very good friends, Kathy and Michael, uh, Michael Palmer and Kathy Simon, who live in San Francisco, last night, you know, on the movie they are interviewed. Yeah. And they said, look, stop screwing around. Just go there and talk to Alice and, and answer the interview. Yeah. And the rest is history. I, I fixed the soup and the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> a dollop of cream, a pinch of salt, and you were labeled a genius. Absolutely. I mean, much to my, I thought, well, okay, if they're that desperate, <laughs> I know I'm desperate, so let's put this together. And it's fair to say, and we learned this a little bit uh, through the film, uh, it, was, it was a bit of a laid-back, sort of, you know, hippie kind of environment. And with Jeremiah coming in, uh, things started to get a little bit more serious. Uh, and Jeremiah, the menus you created, uh, the stories you were telling uh, through the cuisine, that's what you brought. That is what was new to Chez Panisse when you came along. Fair to say? Fair to, fair to say. Yeah. Because before that, it was, you know, a three-course menu for $6.50. 
Um, actually, before Sorry, how much? Six dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> I know, isn't that incredible? Wow! <laughs> Only in Berkeley could you. Know, when I when I raised the price to seven fifty, there was a demonstration out in the street. You know, <laughs> seven fifty? What? It's like who is this royalist asshole who's <laughs> charging seven fifty for four three course meal? You know. <laughs> well, very soon they came and come they did. Uh, Lydia, no, you did reach out to Alice uh, because, out of you know, uh, in the documentary, yeah, big names: Mario Batali, you know, working stars, uh, Anthony Bourdain. The request was put to Alice, and what happened? But I mean, she's obviously inextricable to yeah. this story, so I very much wanted her voice and her thoughts and her recollections in the film, and you know, her time with with Jeremiah. It was it, by no means did we set out to. Uh, make a piece that um, felt one-sided. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 again, I was just sort of operating from a very personal uh, point of view. Why hadn't I heard of Jeremiah's name? If you read his his history, sure. and so I, I did reach out to her. There was an interview that that was set up. Uh, we were going to include it in the whole block of San Francisco shooting that we were doing, and. And then I, you know, I as really at the penultimate moment, I think she she had a, a, a change of heart, and I, I I truly respect her wanting to keep her thoughts and her memories private, and that, and that was really the reason that sure. she gave me that this was a personal story for her, and that she didn't you know she didn't want to render herself vulnerable in that way, and I, I really I respect her yeah. opinion so. Her, her, her decision, rather. And, and I emailed Alice a week ago and said, you know, I miss you. Uh, everyone who's seeing the film says, you know, they miss you. Where are you? So uh, her assistant sent back a very sweet email saying, you know, Alice was unavailable in Europe, so she can't see. Yeah. I asked her to moderate the, the showing in Berkeley. Good. Not the one last night, though, because you had a really fine British chap moderating the screening last night. <laughs> that was oh, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there, Jeremiah. It was so <laughs> wonderful and animated. I thoroughly enjoyed that yeah. whole experience. Yeah. Your, your energy brought me up, and I know it brought him up, too, so that was great. You're making me blush now. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to the screening in just a bit. So, Jeremiah, take us back there. Uh, you know, uh, that fire that was lit in your belly when you walked through those doors at Chez Panisse. Uh, speak of the, the most joyful times you had there at Chez Panisse, uh, when you were right there in the belly of the beast uh, and people were coming from all over the world to, to eat your food. Uh, tell me about that experience. I think what comes to mind immediately is the champagne dinner because uh, I wanted to do Trito Bleu, which is, you know, li- trout that are live and you kill them to order and put them in the in the Corbillon. And so I remembered as a kid, my grandfather taking me to Garapetta Child Farm in Big Sur. Yeah. So, you know, Jerry Budrick, the uh, head waiter, went down there with a truck and brought them back in a big tank. We put them in every sink and bucket in the kitchen with, you know, uh, air, what am I trying to say, you know, pumping air mm-hmm. through them. Anyway, the first order comes along. And I grab the trout, and of course it slips out of my hand. Just at that moment, a waiter opens the door to the dining room. The trout goes slitting across the floor out into the dining room <laughs> and hits some dowager's ankles. You could have heard the shriek, you know, down in Oakland. And so I, then I killed about 10 or something, and then yeah. I picked one up and it went, uh. <laughs> I went, oh my God, no, no, no. So I, asked, I told the dishwasher, get over here and kill trout when I ask for one. <laughs> It was an amazing, that was Alice's favorite evening at Chez Panisse that yeah. I did, yeah. Happy days. Happy days. Uh, stars, another great 
part in the film when uh, a lot of the players in the documentary speak of stars, its location uh, of Van Ness right there um, by City Hall, uh, a dirty alley, you know, homeless people, all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, it's just part of urban living here in the city. Uh, but you had a vision, and I think, and then to this day, Jeremiah, you still have this ability to look at something, a blank canvas, and in your mind know what you want to create. And that is what you did with stars. Right, because, you know, they, Jim Villas tells the story of Jim Beard there with his cane hitting rats as they were running across his feet, you know. <laughs> and all I could see was this amazing space. One of my favorite things in the film, in Last Magnificent, is when I walk into a house in, in Merida in Yucatan, yeah. and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous mm-hmm. space. And I, I immediately said to the film crew, look, I see exactly what I would do here. It's just telling me, crying out what to do because it was so, had such beautiful bones. Yeah. And, of course, then I saw it in the movie, and I thought, boy, that must look really <laughs> bad to everybody watching the movie. Yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah. Uh, that, that place that he just referred to, it was, it was you know, crumbling. The sure. walls are crumbling yeah. and chip paint everywhere, you know, from the, for the untrained eye or the person who doesn't have that kind of vision. You look at that space and you, you think it's, yeah. it's ruined. Um, but, you know, he, he waxed poetic about it during that hour and a half that we were in that space. So, well, and, you know, we, talk, we talked briefly last night, Lydia, uh, about going back to stars. I mean, it's still sitting there. The, that building, that empty space, it's been used as a club in some recent years. Uh, but you did a walkthrough. Uh, and, I mean, soulless, lifeless to go there. Uh, tough to see it uh, with all that life gone. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, having never experienced stars and only seeing it through footage and hearing it through descriptions, you know, when I walked in there, I, my heart sank. And, uh, you know, it, it was completely empty. And uh, we sort of got in there very surreptitiously. Uh, and we were able to do about 20 minutes of just general B-roll shooting in yeah. there. And um, what was really amazing is the original bar is still there. Sort of the integrity of the whole uh, floor plan is still very much intact. But, you know, we walked into an empty, soulless restaurant, and um, it was it was heartbreaking, even for the crew who had been following this yeah. story all along and seeing all that footage. But I think it, it, it's, a, it's a sort of very uh, impactful visual in the film, you know, to kind of see that before and after. Yeah. Well, stars in its heyday, Jeremiah was the pulse of the city, young, old, gay, straight, drag queens, doctors, politicians, uh, and, and paupers like me as a young guy in my 20s who would go there and sit and have one glass of champagne, make it last for two hours. Uh, in its heyday, it was so very, very, very special, Jeremiah. Absolutely. And, you know, when I saw the film for the first time a year ago, I immediately contacted three of what I thought, you know, the top Silicon Valley fortunes living in, in Pacific Heights, um, and said, you know, the space is available. Let's do it again. Come ah. on, guys. <laughs> Why not? Yes. Yes. And um, they just, huh? Stars? What? <laughs> too young, too rich and too young. <laughs> to know what I was talking about. Too rich and too young. Uh, and Jeremiah, we, uh, we did also briefly last night talk about just some of the golden nights. And you did talk to me last night about uh, your memory of one of the most fabulous nights. I think Rudolf Nureyev was, was in the mix. Yes, so he would, when he was doing King and I, he would come across after uh, the theater uh, at the end of the show, and he'd come into Stars, and the first time he did a sort of a jeté, you know, 
did his thing, you know, right in the middle of the dining room. And the whole restaurant stood up and cheered, you know. And then he gave me a big kiss. And my social status, artistic status, went up many notches after that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, in the film, and this is why I've always uh, loved Jeremiah, is you're you're brutally honest. And this film is brutally honest. Uh, And, you know, at the height of your success, also, uh, there was... There were some challenges with ACT UP. Uh, but you also tell the story of how you were caring for some of your staff uh, who were dealing with AIDS. And so here's, here's you, a compassionate man, uh, and then you're faced with this, this upset from ACT UP because they didn't know the full story. Right. And, the, you know, Sharon Brown gives that wonderful thing, saying, you know, that, that she wrote the checks. What, yeah. is, what is not specific in the film is that those were personal checks because I couldn't cover the expenses of, of them at Stars because then I'd have to cover the expenses for everybody. But in those days, it was costing me $2,000 a month, uh, which is, you well, know... that's was, a lot, yeah. It was a lot. Sure. Um, so, but on the other hand, I mean, the, the point is also made in the film that Jeremiah never spoke up, you know, never said, hey, what's going on? Yeah. Um, because I never thought that, you know, one's sexuality should be politicized. Sure. And I was criticized for that, probably rightly so, yeah. looking back on it these days. But in those days, and to this, I still, you know, it's nobody's political business. Sure. Um, so the other thing that I couldn't say at the trial yeah. uh, or in the movie was that the lawyer for the waiter sent me a letter saying, we know we have no case but if I ever get this in front of a San Francisco ju- uh, jury, yeah. I'm going to hang you. Wow. Nice. And that's what happened. What I should have done yeah. is taken that letter, stood up in the courtroom, <laughs> contempt of court, go to jail, <laughs> but at least everybody would know yeah. that it was a f- complete uh, you know, con job. That would have been a better twist to the story, Jeremiah. <laughs> you in jail, in prison garb, orange uh, jumpsuit. I think I'm enough of a criminal already. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jeremiah... Uh, Timeline. So, Stars opened when? Stars opened on July fourth, nineteen eighty-four. Uh, and then you walked away when? I sold it to a Chinese group in nineteen ninety-eight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there was a day when a pivotal moment when you said enough was enough, uh, and you left Stars in your chef whites, uh, and you went uh, down the street um, to Zuni Cafe uh, and enjoyed uh, a lot of champagne. What was that thing? What was that moment? What happened that day? Well, it was the time, you know, when lawsuits were just going crazy in uh, California and San Francisco against anybody famous or anybody who had money. And one day, uh, a lawsuit arrived on my desk. It was two of my female managers who were suing the uh, general manager of Stars. Um, not Tony Angotti, but the other general manager, and therefore sued me. And you, you know, you sue the restaurant, you sue the owner, you sue everybody. And my lawyer and I met with a judge who was a great uh, lunch customer at yeah. Stars, and he said, Jeremiah, this is a complete, you know, extortion, and they have no case, and it's yeah. ridiculous. But, and Richard Collier, my great lawyer who saved my ass so many times, was there too, and he said, the two of them said, Jeremiah go back to the office, write a check for $125,000, and then go have lunch. And I went, no, 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 I'm I'm innocent. And they said, who cares? Do you want to spend three years, have it cost you $500, and then be right? Which no one will remember? So I went back to the uh, back to Stars, wrote a check for $125,000, 
as you um, do. <laughs> and, and you know, which was a lot of money for a restaurant in those days or any days. And then I went to Zuni and, and you know, tucked into the margaritas. Well, Roland Pousseau, Chef Roland Pousseau of La Folie, was in the audience last night. And he uh, mentioned, he said, I, I was there that day. He said, I remember Jeremiah coming in in the Chef Whites. Tizuni Cafe. Right. Oh, right, yeah. right. I mean, I didn't take time to... Yeah. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> to but he, he, rec- he recalls. Um, Lydia, there's one final chapter uh, in the film, an unexpected chapter. Jeremiah comes out of retirement to run Tavern on the Green, to be the executive chef and to bring new culinary life uh, into this, this old dame of New York. Um, tell us about that chapter, because it wasn't expected, because you had a great story, three beautiful chapters and this next one unfolds yeah i mean we were done shooting basically the only thing we had left to do was four days in mexico to really capture jeremiah's life there so the bulk of the entire documentary had been shot already all the interviews etc it was really sort of broken down into a kind of three-act structure youth and shape and and stars um but in the in in the basically the penultimate moment, you know, I sort of discovered with the rest of the world because Jeremiah failed to inform me that he had taken this job. I've got a and job. He's, he's got a job. He had already moved to New York. He had already yeah. gotten an apartment. He had already transferred his life. So um, you know, it, it, it was a it was a big surprise, and it, it there was a kind of creative decision that had to be made, which was. Is this part of the story that we follow? Do we not? Is it something that will actually yield anything valuable for the film? Is it? Uh, it was hard to assess, and uh, just even structurally and visually, the film that we had shot was very, very produced and very careful. Yeah. Um, and suddenly, we were moving into a, a kind of shooting that is much more unexpected and spontaneous, and hard to determine. You know wh- where the end road is. Sure. So um, we, you know, I. I I plunged in. It was day three of the job at Tavern just to get a sense of is this uh, a story that that might have some significance. And, of course, I think you could, fairly early on, I I could see there was merit to to following the story. I saw somebody who really was coming out of the woodwork after a long time being away, rolling up his sleeves and getting to work and, and applying that same... Forza, you say in Italian, yeah, that same yeah. vision, you know, to to uh, to the to to what was the task at hand, and it was pretty incredible to watch. I I felt very overjoyed to be able to see this kind of contemporary uh, illustration of, you know, what he was he was able to do sure. all in all of these other places. So well, it brought a lot of drama to the final act, mm-hmm. uh, but Jeremiah, the final act, your final culinary act. Would you do that again? Do you have any regrets about Tavern on the Green? No, no regrets because it, it showed me that, uh, you know, how big a fool I can be. Uh, I have a fatal attraction for the slim chance. That was a, a lot more slim than I thought it was. So uh, when I do it again, I'll never do another takeover. Yeah. You know, a startup, fine, but not a takeover because, um, I mean, they didn't even know how to make chicken soup, yeah. chicken stock. <laughs> Oops. Whoops. Yeah. So, <laughs> Jeremiah, uh, I introduced you to someone today. He said, I've got a billion dollars. I want you to reopen Stars. Let's do it. What do you say? Well, I mean, that's the first time uh, anyone's asked me that. So, on the spot, I would have to say, um, where's the deposit? <laughs> <laughs> See? To the end. 
to the end. <laughs> he gets the last word. Um, finally, last two questions. For you, Jeremiah, the takeaway for you uh, in making this film with Lydia and sharing this story was one. The, I mean, I didn't really ever think to do this. Uh, but when Lydia and Anthony Bourdain presented it to me, I thought, why not? You know, I mean, when Tony said it, it pressed his justice button to read the memoir, which is now, again, a start the fire, yeah. um, I thought, well, okay, yeah. And they convinced me to get pissed off about some things that the movie deals with. Yeah. It was, it was f- fun to do. Lydia, take away for you this experience working with Jeremiah, learning his story, digging into his story, and getting inside Jeremiah uh, in terms of just getting into his world and having him share what he did. I mean, for me, it was much more than a food story. It was much more than a restaurant story. Um, it, was, it was really the story of, uh, of a person, and I think that's why so many people can relate to, to the film. Um, this is somebody who had a vision, uh, an artistic vision, and um, I, I, I saw, you know, even through his uh, college years that he was searching for a medium you know, to present that vision sure. to the world or that expression. And food and the restaurant happened to be that medium of expression. And, uh, you know, given that, that setting, he was able to do really great things with it. So I, I was intrigued by the story and ultimately so wonderfully happy with the time that I spent with him because, it, for me, it's just it's the story of a, a person trying to express themselves and finding whatever way, shape, or form to do that. And I, I enjoyed I enjoyed getting to know him. It was hard to get to know him. He is a very interior person, which I appreciate. But um, it was worth it. Give him champagne. Champagne, <laughs> Jeremiah. Absolutely. Champagne, thank Lydia. Yeah. The Absolutely. film is The Last Magnificent, Jeremiah Tower. Jeremiah, uh, thank you for sharing uh, your story, your heart, your passion, and revealing who you are, or at least a big part of who you are. Thank you very much. Liam, you're always the best. Oh, stop it. My mission today, I'm going to find a billionaire and get that deposit to you by 5 p.m. Deal? (laughs) Cheers. Uh, The Last Magnificent, the film opens uh, Friday, so go see it uh, here in San Francisco at the Embarcadero Center Theater, Shattuck in Berkeley. Tell your friends the full story on Jeremiah and a link to the movie trailer is at cbssf.com and click on Foodie Chap. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.